Hello, and welcome to Are You Going to Eat Your Fat? This podcast is a resource dedicated to those struggling with eating disorders. If you are struggling with an eating disorder or know someone who is, maybe a brother, sister, daughter, wife, we want to be here to provide resources and offer hope. I am Dina Lewis, and I'm here with my husband, co-host, Brian Lewis. We are not doctors, but we do come with more than 20 years history in dealing with eating disorders. Whether you found us on purpose or by mistake, whatever the case, we hope by the end of this episode, you have learned something, or at least if you are struggling, you do not feel alone. Hi, and welcome to Are You Gonna Eat Your Fat? I'm Dina. And I'm Brian. And in this episode, I wanna talk a little bit about what I call tricks, self-sabotage, and acceptance. But before I start, I was talking with a friend that listens to the episodes and I told her like, hey, you know, can you give me some advice what you think? And she's not dealing with anorexia and I won't share what her issue is, but she kind of said to me, you know, you're sharing your story from an anorexic and, you know, I'm not an anorexic or a recovering anorexic. And so I just want to let you guys know that, listen, it doesn't matter to me whether you're restricting food, you're purging, you're binging, you're overeating, whatever the coping mechanism you have, all that matters is that it's the same disease and all you have to do is replace whatever you're using in place of what I'm using as restricting or used as restricting. So I'm hoping that even if somebody's listening to this podcast and they're like, well, I don't have an eating disorder, but I'm an alcoholic or I'm dealing with drugs or whatever the situation may be, you can just replace that for what I've used as restricting food. And the story really does is the same thing. I used to have a loved one who went to group therapy and they would tell me, oh yeah, I went to group therapy and I listened to the stories. And isn't it terrible? My life is so much better than theirs. Their story, they do things that I, if that's the case, if you're listening to this podcast and you hear through our story that isn't that terrible? I'm not that bad and I don't do that. So therefore, you're not doing it right because what you're supposed to get out of this or group therapy is I'm hearing my own voice. I do that too. What do you do when that happens or how do you cope with this? And that's really the intent of and what we hope the intent of the podcast is and, and what you hope you get out of a group setting isn't the exclusion, but the inclusion. I hear my own story and them telling their story. And it doesn't have to be the, well, I restrict food. It can replace it with anything. Like Dina said, replace it with, I binge or I purge. I use laxatives. I regurgitate. I overeat. Whatever it is, it's all the same disease and it's all has to do with food. And that overwhelming, all-consuming, food-driven life is at the core of what we're talking about. And that's why when I was in treatment and afterwards, we didn't just go to OA meetings for Overeaters Anonymous. We went to AA meetings a lot of the time. Like I said, you can replace what you use or what you do with alcohol, and it really is the same story. It's amazing how that happens, but it is. I also want to make sure everybody feels welcome here. I think I said it in the very first podcast, this eating disorder thing doesn't look at race. It doesn't look at how old you are, how wealthy you are. What sex you are. What sex you are. It takes over. And if you are 
20 or 14 and facing and dealing with this struggle. Okay, if you're 45 or 60 dealing with it, okay, let us let you help you. When I was in treatment for the second time, I had many roommates, but one of the last roommates that I had, she was a grandmother. Now, she was a younger grandmother, but she was a grandmother, and she was still battling this for years. It was a good Uh, reminder to see somebody that was still struggling. mm -hmm. And at that age, because most of the patients were mid-20s or younger, and this was somebody who was older and still struggling, and it was like, wow. I mean, for me, at least, it was like, wow, this is the extent of the disease that anybody can still struggle. But now we'll get back to our topic. So again, kind of the topic for this episode is going to be tricks, self-sabotage, and acceptance. And we'll go right into it. I think I've spoken to some of the things that kind of happened in treatment in previous episodes. I'm sorry to interrupt you. As we're talking about this, this isn't like tattletale time of what happens. What the intent of bringing the tricks and the self-sabotage and these things up, we're just going to tell you some of the things that not only did occur personally, but also we've seen other people do. And really to get a sense of if you're seeing these things, obviously, if you're doing them, you know what you're doing. But the intent is as we get closer to the holidays, we get closer to families being together, we get closer to people having meals together. This is the extent of the disease. This is to sort of awaken people who have no idea when they see this, what is this? So it's to help interpret that, not necessarily just to say, well, isn't that strange? It's to give you the tools to really identify what's going on. In the last episode, I talked about numbers and weight and the scale and stuff. And those are a lot of things that people don't talk about because they can be very triggering. And I'm not saying these things to trigger anybody, but I really want to educate people about what it's really like the day in the life of someone with an eating disorder. Because I have members in my own family that told me, why don't you just eat? It's no big deal. And they never understood. And I don't think they still don't understand. So there's much more to it. And it really has nothing to do with food. That's just your coping mechanism. So much more than just So much more. Because the answer really is to just have a normal relationship with food. But it's just the same as somebody that says, why can't you set down the bottle? Why can't you just stop using? It's the same thing. It's not that I don't want to stop. It's that I can't. And I think the hardest part for me was, and I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but you don't need the bottle to keep living, but you need food. So it is the challenge. You still have to face that every day. If your drug of choice, you don't necessarily need that to live, but you do need food to live. So when your drug of choice is food, it is a different perspective than if it's a substance that you don't need to live. So, I mean, that's kind of the point of why eating disorders are so devastating. And look, it's not a race. It's not to say one's more devastating than the other or or whatever. That's not what we're saying. It's just to understand the concept that this is something you need to live and something you have to have a healthy relationship with is a different thing altogether, but it's the same thing. Okay. So let's talk about tricks. So some of these tricks weren't done by me, but it doesn't really matter because we all have little things we've done or I did. One of the little tricks that was played while I was in treatment was 
because I was so low in weight that they had to start giving me what you call insure. I'd have to drink that. Insure, give it up. Strawberry, chocolate, vanilla. Yeah. So I had to start drinking that a couple times a day. And there were other girls that did too. And I couldn't believe it because there's things that were done that I never even would have thought of. But we'd have to drink out of the can and we would drink together, like in a group. And somehow they found out that this one person had taken a nail and had put a nail into the can to make this a slow leak of all the insure out of it and then was able to fill it up with water. And so while the rest of us were drinking insure and hating it, she was drinking water. So that was one of the little tricks that was played. And once they found that out, which I don't know how they figured it out, but they did, probably because she wasn't gaining weight. But <laughs> Or there the, seems to be drops of insure yeah. on the floor. What the hell is this? <laughs> Everybody then had to drink out of a clear glass. There was no more drinking out of the can. So that was one. Other things that were kind of played around with were the knives. The knives would be taken out every night and locked up. It's a sad thing to think, but there were times where there'd be a missing knife that would just halt everything for the night, and we would have to figure out who took it. Where is it? We have to account for it all because nobody's going to bed until we have all the knives. I don't believe it had anything to do with anybody trying to like commit suicide or hurting themselves. It was really an attention getter. It was like, I need the attention, look at me. I don't know, however, the consequence did with that. But yeah, that was another one. Some of the things I remember is like when I would eat, but I didn't have to eat whatever the meal was being prepared. And sometimes my wife would give me the heads up like, hey, if you're coming for mealtime, lunchtime today, we're having some exotic cat food. So if you don't want it, <laughs> you know, go, go get your own. So I'd go to some place and I'd get something to eat. And I'd bring it over and sit at the table with everybody and have lunch. And, you know, I'd go, wait a minute, where's the pepper? Oh, we're on restriction with pepper. Or do you guys have Tabasco? You used to have Tabasco. Where's the Tabasco? Oh, we're on restriction with Tabasco or we're on restriction with cinnamon. What I want to point out is that people struggling with an eating disorder where they get enjoyment from food, where they may get enjoyment from food, what they will do is cover it with pepper or with cinnamon, or with Tabasco, so that they don't enjoy the food that they're eating. Well, they can't taste it either. They don't want to taste it. Yeah. Therefore, that's kind of a masking the food behavior. So if you're seeing that, that's a good indicator to say, what's really going on here? And why are you doing that? I think a lot of times because we're afraid to bring it up, you know, this is the silent disease nobody talks about. So if you're sitting there dumping pepper all over your chicken salad, nobody's going to call you out on it. And they're going to look at you, but nobody's really going to stand up and say, what the hell are you doing? So that's just kind of a little clue of what may be going on. Or even sometimes patients would eat spoiled food or things with mold on it because that's not, hey, I've discovered penicillin. That's, hey, I don't enjoy this food and I'll eat it. Therefore, it tastes bad. Therefore, I don't really want all of it. And the added bonus of make yourself sick eating it. Well, there was a young lady that did eat spoiled bread before she came. And she felt, I don't know if it was so much about not tasting the food or not liking it or whatever, but it had to do with what she felt she was worth, her value, her self-esteem. And she felt like that's what she deserved was that. 
I don't know if it was necessarily like a trick I played, but this is when I was still at home before I left for treatment. I'd get kind of panicked. And so I would cook an egg, but I'd have to cook the egg in a paper bowl in the microwave because, you know, you can get that spray kind of stuff you can put in the pan so it doesn't stick. Well, it said no calories on it, but then what if they're lying? And there really is. So I would just put it in a paper bowl and cook it and then cut it into tiny little pieces because then it would make it feel like I was eating more, but it would take a lot longer to eat it. So that was kind of my little trick. You talked about the person that was in treatment that, you know, was so sick, they put her in the hospital and they put an IV. And when the nurses weren't around, she'd pull the IV and drain the IV into the plant that was next to her on her bed. I mean, that's really sad. And I'm not making fun of it, but I'm laughing because when she told us this, it was like, you know, I can envision the nursing staff coming in and saying, she's still not gaining weight. She still looks terrible, but the plants in here are just wonderful. <laughs> also, there's little tricks, although they caught on really quick in treatment about trying to go to the bathroom before a meal, trying to go to the bathroom after a meal. So what was settled about that was you couldn't go to the bathroom a half an hour before the meal or after. And then if you did really have to go to the bathroom, the door would have to be open. And then one of the other girls or administration would have to stand by the door just to make sure, you know, you know why they couldn't hear certain things. But let's move on to self-sabotage. Later in my treatment, it was getting closer for me to go home and You know, I got really connected with the girls there and with the doctors and it became a family. I mean, it did because I I was there for over seven months. I mean, certainly they were giving you support that you weren't getting anywhere else. Yeah. And I mean, it was a nice bubble. It was safe. And I did go home at times and come back and we did that kind of thing back and forth. But we would visit different restaurants because it was important for the treatment center to teach us like, okay, well... You do great here, but let's take you out of the bubble and see how you do outside of the treatment center and know how to deal with it when you go. Because in real life, you do go out to eat. So we had gone out to eat. I don't know where we went. We went to some restaurant. It was never a chain restaurant. It was always a mom and pop place. So I restricted, but I never planned it. I honestly don't even remember doing it. And I do remember on the way back to the facility thinking... OMG, I just restricted there. I can't believe it. (laughs) Why did you do that to yourself? And nobody noticed anything. I didn't have to tell anybody. And at one point in my life, I didn't have a conscience and it didn't really matter. But now that I was getting healthier, I started, started to have feelings again. And I remember going up to the doctors and saying, I messed up. You know, I'm back to square one. I can't believe I did it. After talking about it more, I think I did it unconsciously just because I was afraid everything was about to change drastically and I was going to go home and face a whole new life. And I think I was just afraid. Now, that doesn't give me an excuse. That's just kind of rationalizing it. But I think what hit me hard was I don't know if I had like 30 days or 60 days of abstinence at the time and I had my coin. And I think I was more crushed than about I have to start at day one again, but I'd already made it here. And that really had to be my decision. Did I do it? Do I need to start over? And I decided to start over. But somebody told me something wise. Those coins that you get when you go to AA meetings and OA meetings, they're great. 
and you can hold on to them and you're proud of them. But the best thing you can do with them is give them away. Give that hope to someone else when they receive a chip, whether it's 30 days, 60 days a year. And I didn't want to give it up because I'd worked so hard for it. But the best thing I could do is give that to someone else and give them the hope of having abstinence as well. But the self-sabotage thing does happen. I'm not sure why that time and that place. I think you explained it because even as a good guess, you know, you were in a safe place that you didn't want to leave, that you were getting support in. And the fear of what's going to happen after I get out got to the point where it was like, well, I got to do something to stay here. Maybe this is unconsciously a way to stay here. Because I remember being in the restaurant with you and you saying, well, I don't want to eat this. And I'm like, you don't have to eat it. And then you were like, I think I need to start all over again. I'm like, you don't need to start all over again. And it was the recognition in that moment is you falling off the, I don't know if falling off the wagon's the right term, but you relapsing. And then me, what I had to figure out is that I was trying to make everything all right and make it like, no, you don't have to do that. Now you don't have to do that. And what I've come around to in order to help you be healthy is hold you to that standard and go, yeah, you should eat it. Yeah, absolutely. You're going to do your first step over again. And the story of making everything all right may sound familiar, especially if you're involved with somebody that's struggling. But I want to encourage you that they need to hear you say that. They need to hear you say, no, that's not right. You need to do what you need to do. And don't always try to make everything all right. Support doesn't always mean yes. Support a lot of times means no. I mean, it did happen to me. And I do believe I did see others kind of self-sabotage when, you know, when I went into treatment at the last time, I was 57 pounds at my lowest. And as I started to gain weight, there was a lot of attention on me in the very beginning because I was so ill. And then as I started to getting a little bit better, some of that attention went elsewhere. And it's not that I didn't get attention, but it wasn't so critical. I guess to this day, I think I still starve for a little bit of attention. So I think that could have been a part of it as well. I don't know if I want to get all the way better because people seem to love me more. And I have that very messed up early in my life. But anyway, that's just something I wanted to talk about. And then the last thing I wanted to talk about is acceptance. <sighs> See, I found a card that one of my brothers had written me, and I just wanted to read you guys a little piece of it. He said to me, I understand that you are afraid of fat, but somewhere you're going to have to deal with a healthy and gain a realistic view of where you have to be. I'm concerned that you are running away from those around you, your doctor, your therapist, but only to avoid the alternatives of facing your failure with Raider Institute and with us. It's becoming harder for me to deal with your seclusion. Time alone is not a thing you appear to deal with well. That's the isolation that's characteristic of somebody with an eating disorder too. Even somebody with addiction, I just want to go off and do my thing and be left alone. I don't want to be around others because when I'm around others, they see the disease and they want to talk about it or they want to fix it or they want to engage me and I don't want to be engaged. Well, I think it was just the sense of knowing that I put a lot of pressure on my family and I felt bad about that. But the need to perform, the need to do this perfectly is what I took from it. And thinking I failed my family is not what I wanted to hear. And it did make me angry at the time. But 
I'm going to say this. My family is great when it comes to when there's a crisis. Everybody comes to the table, they jump in, and everybody's on board. Not so much when things quiet down. And I'm not saying that my family's bad. That's just the way that I see it. It's my perspective. But I've had to set boundaries, and I'm proud of where I've come from and where I am today. And sometimes I think people just expect me to get better because that's what they wanted. I think the acceptance parts, when we talk about acceptance is (laughs) when we were in the disease, because both of us were firmly in the disease, living day to day was a struggle. Living day to day was not fun. I think when we were ill in the disease, there was no hope at all. There was just the struggle to survive. And looking back on it from today, you know, I never thought we'd be at this place where we'd be blessed with children, where we'd be blessed with a nice place to live, a great job, and be happy with each other. You know, that's not to say we don't still struggle. We do. But looking back on what a nightmare that period of our life was, we never would have even dreamt of having life we have today. So those struggles that you go through when you come out the other side is quite the experience. Yeah. And I'm going to say with acceptance, sorry, I think I got a little off topic earlier. I apologize for that. But acceptance to me doesn't mean that I love my body every day, that I've accepted, you know, this is that. But it has taught me that I have to accept that this is what I can do and this is what I can't do. And I can't go backwards again. I've learned that even though my family isn't always my biggest cheerleader, that I still struggle because I want them to be. But they can only do what they can do, and I have to accept that. Acceptance is a hard thing. There's times I really struggle, and it may sound like, hell, you're doing really well right now. That's not the case all the time. People don't know what's going on behind closed doors. But this podcast has really helped me know my purpose. And maybe that's why I went through an eating disorder is so I can come back and help and give service to others. Y'all, we have listeners in Germany. We have listeners in Belgium and Iowa. I mean, come on, who'd have thunk? Yes, I just looked at the statistics of the show and we had 72 downloads today in Iowa. And I want to give a big shout out to Iowa. I've never been there, but maybe I need to come. But to everybody else, we're talking Washington and, let's see, well, it doesn't Texas, matter. It everywhere, doesn't matter everybody. We we're grateful for your participation in this. If you feel the need and want to contribute, we do have a Patreon. It's, are you going to eat your fat at Patreon? Just do a little search button. Are you going to eat that fat? And we'll pop up there if you feel so compelled to throw some ducats our way because podcasting ain't free. But if you do find that, hey, I get something out of this, maybe I want to contribute, then please do. If you want to reach out and ask questions or contact, connect with us, our Gmail is eatthatfat at gmail.com. Also, I want to say that I started up a Facebook group. It's just, are you going to eat that fat on Facebook? And I just really try and keep it really positive, a lot of recovery quotes, and just a lot of support along the way. So if anybody wants to get on there, you're more than welcome. Just want to thank you all for everything that you do, and thank you for fulfilling our life so much with just participating in this podcast. 
please comment if there's something you guys would like us to go into further detail about. And I just want to give much support and love out to all those caregivers out there because I know it is very hard. And I know you guys really struggle just as much as the addict does. So um, sending my love your way. Well, when we talk about acceptance, we talk about acceptance and the reality of what it is. And we recognize that with a prayer called the serenity prayer. Everybody say it with me now. God, God grant, grant me the, the serenity, serenity to accept the things, the things I cannot change, change the, the courage to change the things I can, and the, and the wisdom, wisdom to know, know the, the difference. difference. Keep coming, coming back. back. It, it works, works when you work, work it. it. So, so work, work it. it. You are worth it. You're worth it. See you guys. Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us. If you found this podcast useful or we have given you hope and you want to reach out and contribute, feel free to do so at eatthatfat at gmail.com. That's eatthatfat at gmail.com. Our pledge to you is that every penny that we get in contributions goes to production costs and keeping the lights on. We will not pay ourselves, but anything above and beyond production costs will go to benefit organizations that specialize in eating disorders. Please reach out to us if you need resources or you just need to talk. You are not alone and there are people who care. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. So work it. You are worth it.